0: Thank you, beloved. Now all of you take a deep breath. Fill your lungs up, it's cheap. Air is 21% oxygen and 79% nitrogen. So take some of it in, it'll do you good. Come on, I see some of you sitting there, with shallow. You know, God gave you lungs to use, so use them. It'll wake you up too. I see one lady, she's looking at me so sad-eyed like she thinks I'm crazy. I am. I'm one of God's nuts. We're reading the Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 11, where God said, I will go down into my garden of nuts. That's us folks. Nuts always grow in heavenly places. You never find them down in the mud. And they always have a sweet heart, if you can get at it. Some are tough, some are soft, but they all have a sweet heart. And there are five colors of nuts, just the same as there are five races of people. But I'm not going to get on that subject. There are, and he's the one that puts them away. Now, in Ecclesiastes 7, at verse 13, we read this. Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which God hath made crooked? consider the work of God. That's the things he's made out there in nature. For who can make that straight which God hath made crooked? Ecclesiastes 7, 13. Did you ever see a straight peanut in your life? You try to make a straight peanut. I have a friend down in Alabama that has a, did have a peanut ranch. He never could grow one. The peanuts he grew were un- unusual peanuts. They had three kernels in each one. By the way, do you know how that kernel gets its food? It isn't connected to the shell, at least I've never found one that was. I've had green ones and ripe ones, big ones and little ones. That kernel is always loose. How does it get its food? Where does it get, it? get its uh, nutrition? And there are three shells around it. There's a little one around the kernel itself. Then there's another one around the inside of the shell, and then there's the shell. Now, you tell me, how in the world does that thing grow? I don't know. That's one of the many things I don't know. You'll never see a straight grapevine. You can't make the thing grow straight. It's crooked in its nature. It always is crooked. And I'll tell you something else. You cannot make a bean vine grow straight. Any kind of a bean. Navy beans, wax beans, yellow beans, any kind. You can't make them grow straight. It always goes up a pole left-handed. Every bean you eat is left-handed. It grows up the pole from left to right. And if you unwind it and grow it up from right to left, it'll die on the third day because it can't have its own way. I was talking one time over in Michigan on remarkable things in nature, and I mentioned this particular thing. And I saw a woman get very excited, and she spoke to everybody around her. She didn't listen to any more of my message at all. She was so upset. And after the service, I went to her and I said, what did I say to upset you so? She said, you solved a problem for me today that puzzled six of the finest agricultural scientists that I could get a hold of. She said, I had 10 acres of beans planted, the green beans for the Chicago market. And I thought I had a short variety, so I had the men put in short poles. But the beans got to the top of the poles and kept on going, so I saw I had a high variety and I had my men pull up all the sticks, 10 acres of beans, you know, that's quite a few beans said, I had them pull out all the sticks and put in high poles, and every bean vine I had on those ten acres was dead on the third day. She said, I wrote to five agricultural colleges and asked them to send me their finest experts and tell me what killed my beans. So they came, they examined the soil with chemicals, they took microscopes and looked for bugs. And looked for blight and look for disease, and they couldn't find what it was. And they all five went away and didn't know what till those beans. <speaking in> didn't know what till those bean, <Spanish> didn't know what till those bean, 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 didn't know What till those beans? Didn't know what till those beans. 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 All the sticks and put in high poles, and every bean vine I had on those ten acres was dead on the third day. She said, I wrote to five agricultural colleges and asked them to send me their finest experts. And tell me what killed my beans so they came they examined the soil with chemicals they took microscopes and looked for bugs and looked for blight and looked for disease and they couldn't find what it was and they all five went away and didn't know what killed those beans the trouble was she had right-handed men and they wound up all those beans from right to left you can't do that and keep them alive they die on the third day a woman down in southern missouri heard me tell that at high school that is her boys heard me and went home and told her mother, and she says, he ain't know something about his Bible. He made her something about medicine, but he don't know anything about beans, But I have some bean vines, and I'll prove it. So she unwrapped three in her backyard. But Thursday night, she came down to the church where I was preaching and publicly confessed that she was off. Those vines all died on the third day. Then Monday I was speaking in Biola, out in Los Angeles, on miracles in nature, for my book I had out that time. And... Uh, <laughs> I mentioned this thing. I received a letter from a woman down near San Diego. She said, Dr. Wilson, you're as crazy as you can be. I have a bean vine in my backyard, and it's growing up from right to left. Well, I didn't argue with her. I learned better long ago to argue with a woman. So I just wrote her, and I said, well, now when these beans develop, please send me some of them. A few weeks later, I got a letter from her saying, I'm sorry, my beans proved to be peas. (laughs) Of course, I knew that before she wrote me. No, you can't keep a good dandelion down. Uh, my messages have no connection whatever. You'll find that out pretty soon. I'm just jumping from one thing to another because I love that. That's the way a horse eats grass in the pasture. Takes a bite here and then a bite over there. Could stand in one spot, you know, and get a good meal. But they don't. They wander all around. That's the way I do sometimes. A dandelion. You can't keep a good dandelion down. If, if the grass is two inches high, the dandelion comes up three If the grass is 5 inches high, the dandelion comes up 6. If the grass is 10 inches high, the dandelion comes up 11. And one day my daughter, one of my daughters brought me in a dandelion 15 inches long. Said, Dad, I got the yardstick and measured the grass. It was 14 inches high. Now, what makes it do it? What makes a dandelion do that fool thing? It never gets down under the circumstances. Now, don't ask me how, because I don't know a thing about it. I was speaking one time in a high school in Southern Missouri, Joplin, I think it was, or Parsons, and a senior boy came up to me. You know a senior is a fellow that knows everything there is to know, and he knows he does. And so uh, he came up. The principal took me in to address the audience, the boys and girls, about 1,200 of them. And then he left me to go over to speak to a teacher. And while he was gone, this senior boy came up. He said, are you the guy guys going to do the preaching this morning? I said, no, sir. I graduated from being a guy some time ago. And we don't, uh, I have better sense than to preach in a school. I never do it. Why did you ask me? Well, he said, I don't believe the bunk that you preachers put out. I said, thank you for the information. Now tell me what you do believe. I'm far more interested in what you do believe than what you don't. And he said, I believe nothing I can't understand. Just then the principal took me up on the platform. And I said to the principal, would you mind if I interrogate uh, one of the senior boys? No, he said, help yourself. Now this boy was sitting on the front seat beside his red-headed sweetheart. And I said to the audience, now you young people have a notable person in your midst. He's going to make his mark in the world for he'll believe nothing he can't understand. So the principal has told me I might ask him a few questions. So I said, lad, tell me, how is it that a black cow eats green grass that makes white milk and churns yellow butter and made red hair on your sweetheart? But he didn't answer me. Well, I said, tell me, why is the man blows his hands to warm them and blows his coffee to cool it? But he didn't answer me. Well, I said, tell me, how come that we turn the electricity into one contraption to burn the bread and into another to make ice? By this time, the rest of the crowd were giving him raspberries, and he went out the back door. He wouldn't stay and face it. We don't understand things. We live by faith. Now, everything you eat goes in your stomach, and your stomach digests it, but it doesn't digest itself. Why doesn't the stomach digest itself? It's made of the same stuff as the stuff you eat. I don't know. Don't ask me. Now, every bunch of bananas has twenty-four bananas on the bottom row, if it's a complete bunch. Twenty-four bananas on the bottom row. Then there's one less on each row as you go up. They call them hands, some of you may know, but on each row or each hand set set of bananas, there's one less. Starts with twenty-four. And one day I was addressing a rotary club, I think it was, Kiwanis Club, and I mentioned this, and I saw all the fellows in there looking around at a man at a distant table at my right, So I said to the president of the club, but who's the friend attracting attention? They said, he's a wholesale banana merchant. Oh, I said. So I looked at him and I said, say, brother, tell me. Did I tell the truth to these men? He said, brother, I've only handled them 31 years. I don't know. I haven't had time to count them. (laughs) Well, I said, if you have, do you have any on hand? He said, yes, I have 100 bunches on hand. I wish you'd count some of them and call me up. I gave him my phone number and let me know whether I'm right or wrong. He called me up at 4 o'clock. He said, I counted 35 bunches and every one had 24 bananas on, and I never knew that before. But you see, God doesn't do things carelessly. That's the reason he asks you to give your life to him. He wants to make it what he wants it to be. Everything in nature follows out God's rule and God's law. But we don't. We think we can get along without God. And you can't do it and live the kind of a life that he wants you to have or that you want to have. Now, salt is square. Absolutely square. Every grain of salt in your salt shaker, unless it's been broken somehow, is a square crystal. Absolutely square to the millionth of an inch. Every grain of salt that ever was made of square crystals. And I don't know anything else in chemistry that has a square crystal. If you look under a microscope and see a square crystal, you know it's sodium chloride, but I don't know anything else that has a square crystal. And one day I went out to the Kerry Salt Works. Because I just nose into everything I can. Nature's my hobby. You know, there's a difference between a hobby and a horse. You can get off of horse. So I went out to this Carey Salt Works, and I asked the chemist if he ever saw a grain of salt, whether it was made synthetically in the laboratory, or taken out of seawater, or dug out of the ground, or obtained any way, whatever, that was not perfectly square. He said, Dr. Wilson, you will never find a grain of salt that isn't square. There isn't any such thing. Sodium and chlorine go together in an absolutely square grain. Now, sugar doesn't. Sugar is composed of three things that have no taste, no color, no odor, and God puts them together and makes sugar out of it. But you'll never see a square grain of sugar. You can examine them all you please. They don't go together as a square grain. They won't do it. Now, don't ask me why. I don't know anything about it. I only know they're irregular shapes and never are regular shapes at all. Now, eggs, you see I'm jumping around a little bit. But you always have salt salt and eggs. Do you know that all the eggs that I know anything about hatch in multiples of seven, except the pigeon egg, which hatches in 18 days, and the quail egg, which hatches in 23 days? Everything else I've been able to find hatches in seven, 14, 21, and so on. I couldn't find any egg that hatched in one week, seven days, until one day I was in the study of our precious brother Colton over at at, uh, Detroit. And I was waiting for him to call me for dinner, and he he had gone out to help his wife. And I was looking through his library, and I found a book on potatoes. I thought, well, I don't know much about potatoes. I think I'll read some of that while I'm waiting, because I just nose into everything. And so I pulled the book down, and what do you know? I found the potato bug's eggs hatch in seven days, one week. I said, thank you, Lord. I've been looking for that for years. Some had hatched in seven days. It's the eggs of the potato bug. Now, you're not interested, I suppose, but then I was. Then all the eggs of all these domestic birds around here hatch in two weeks, and the hen egg in three weeks, and the duck egg in four weeks, and the wild mallard and the eagle egg all hatch in five weeks, and the parrot egg and the ostrich egg and the alligator egg all hatch in six weeks, and the snake egg hatches in seven weeks. That's the longest of all the eggs. Now, don't ask me why. I only know this, what God does, he does regularly. That's the reason he asks you to give your life to him so he can make it what he wants it to be. Now, animals come the same way. I, I wrote to our... Or rather, I telephoned our zookeeper in Kansas City, good friend of mine. We have a big zoo there. And I said, I wish you'd write to the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago, the Golden Gate Zoo in San Francisco, the Central Park Zoo in New, in New York, and the Hagenbeck Zoo in Berlin, and the... Uh, and the one other, I forget which one it was. And I wish you'd ask them if they know any animal that is not born in a period of sevens. Right, and ask them, I want to know. Because all the records I had showed they came in regular weeks. The mouse takes two weeks and the rat takes three weeks. The cat takes eight weeks and the dog takes nine weeks and the fox takes 10 weeks. And the, all the big cat animals, the lion, the tiger, the puma, and the, uh, and the uh, leopard and all those big cat animals are born in 13 weeks, but it takes 39 weeks for a horse. I can't figure that out. These great big huge lions, the big tigers, I saw a tiger weighed 600 pounds, just took 13 weeks to make that thing. And all the big monkeys come in 35 weeks. The chimpanzee, the ape, the gorilla, the baboon, all those animals, they come in 35 weeks, while all the little monkeys come in 22 weeks, and you came in 40 weeks. I don't care who you are, you came in 40 weeks. I brought babies for 35 years, and I got when i was in the tent business i went out and sold buffalo billy's tents and came back and brought two or three babies and went out and saw sales floto and came back and brought two or three babies and i sold tents out on out there and came home delivered babies and in all those years i missed once that was her fault wasn't mine (laughs) takes 40 weeks to make a human being and you know that did something to dar to darwin darwin went down to terra del Fuego, southern point of south america where he found what he said was the lowest form of human life in the world. And he made some investigations after the missionaries went in there and he could get in, and he found that they were born in 40 weeks, just the same as the finest people in the United States or England. Every human being comes in 40 weeks. I don't care whether it's in the heart of Africa or whether it's in uh, Chicago. Doesn't make any difference. Now, you can't explain it. I can't explain it. It takes 26 weeks to make a bear and 29 weeks to make a deer. They all come in weeks. They all come in sevens. That's because the God of heaven is a God of order. Do you know, beloved, that the waves come in on the sea 18 to the minute? 18 to the minute. I don't care whether they're three inches high, three feet high, or 30 feet high. It doesn't make a of difference. I've counted the waves on five oceans. And I've counted them when it seemed to be absolute calm and when there was a terrible storm. Did it purposely. Eighteen to the minute. Eighteen to the minute. And when my wife and I went across to England the first time, we went on to Queen Mary, and we sat on the deck and tried to find a place where the waves divide. You see, over in England, they come up on the shore, and over here they come up on the shore. We thought, sure, we'd find some spot where they divide. You see, some go one way and some the other, but we couldn't find the miserable thing. But I did find this. I found out why the ships are built between 300 and 400 feet long, or between 600 and 700 feet long, or between 900 and 1100 feet long. I found out that because the waves are 300 feet apart. And they build the small ships uh, to go over two waves. That's over 300 feet, you see. And then 300 feet more. And then the Queen Mary and Queen Elizabeth and the United States, those ships, they're something like 1,000 feet. They go over four waves. They have to be because they come 300 feet apart. Now tell me, that just happens, doesn't it? That's that's all, it just happens that way. happens that the eggs come in sevens and and that animals are born, you know, in sevens. It just happens that way. They jump up out of the ground like that, don't they? Nuts. Now the human body is wonderful. Your body is wonderful. I wonder if you ever thank God that you had a one-shot system of lubrication. You put the food in one hole and all your... 264 joints are greased. Wouldn't this woman have a job, this lady's chewing gum down there, if she had to grease herself every few minutes, you know? (laughs) Wouldn't we have a job if we had to oil ourselves every day and grease ourselves every day? Just think of it. We'd forget some joints and then we'd squeak all day long, you know? We couldn't live with each other. And the Lord knew it would take such a long time to grease ourselves, we wouldn't get a chance to do anything else. So he fixed it up in some way, and I don't know how. I've opened up many a body. I never found out how it is that that serious membrane in the knees and in the elbows and in the neck and different places always produced the right stuff. I don't know. And it doesn't make any difference what you eat. You vegetarians, it makes it in you. And you herbivorous and you carnivorous people... You know, it makes it. I don't care what you eat. It makes it. Did you ever thank God you had a wet mouth? Your mouth's always wet. Now, if it wasn't, you couldn't eat peanut butter and eat anything else for two hours. You'd have to scrape that stuff out with a spoon. And aren't you glad you have wet eyes so the eyelid doesn't stick and get a hot box and stop on you? And God has given us a skin that is elastic, so when you get large in certain places it doesn't break open and leave you full of cracks. And it's also loose on your body, so when you strike anything it, it gives instead of being stiff and hard, uh, otherwise you just tear yourself to pieces all the time. We're always stumbling over things, stumbling over And then aren't you glad, beloved, that women don't have whiskers? The Lord did that purposely. He wanted them in the kitchen getting breakfast instead of clogging up the bathroom shaving. <laughs> There's another remarkable miracle about the bones. The ankle bones are a miracle. I saw a woman in the she was on the sideshow. She weighed 526 pounds and the tibia bone was about as big as my thumb, and the fibula was about as big as my little finger. And those two little bones held up 526 pounds plus everything she carried in her arms without breaking. I don't know any human being could make a thing like that, because every time she took a step her whole weight was on one ankle. You can't figure that out save your life. Then think of God giving us a universal joint at the right place. How would you like to have a universal joint in your knees? You'd never get anywhere. And then he made our ears stiff and soft, both. That's so when the sound waves hit our ears, they'll go into the ears the way they should. And I'll tell you another interesting thing about the ears. It has nothing to do with eggs or salt. but. God has made our ears so we cannot hear everything that goes on. Now, this room, and out yonder in Radio Land, there are many, many radio stations operating. And they operate at a tremendous high frequency. I think it's around 200,000 a second, if I remember rightly. I'm not an expert on it. And if we could hear that, we'd simply be in the asylum, a whole bunch of us. We couldn't possibly listen to 50 radio stations to keep our senses. So God has fixed it so that our radio technicians bring that sound down to between the 5,000 and 25,000, I think it is, a second. We can hear that. If we had to listen to everything that's in this room, beloved, we just couldn't stand it at all. So God has fixed our ears so we cannot hear and be confused by a multitude of sounds that are in the air. And think, and by the way, just to digress a moment, I rather think it's a Wilson opinion. You can take it what it's worth. I rather think the reason we're having so many heart attacks and people dying suddenly at their desk and at the store and on the street may have three reasons. One is we're penetrated and permeated constantly, day and night, with millions of electrical waves from these radio stations. And second, we're always breathing carbon monoxide gas. You can't get away from it. Thousands of cars on the street and tractors, and all sorts of things using gasoline, and we're always breathing it, all night and all day. And third, you can't buy a rocking chair anymore. Who wants to sit down? We rush home, grab a bite, and go somewhere, or else somebody comes to see us, and it's just as bad, sometimes. We don't rest anymore. Why, our houses aren't built with porches on anymore. Who wants to sit on a porch? And you try to buy a rocking chair. Nobody wants to sit. We're on the go. Those three things may be the cause, at least has something to do with it, of why we're having so much trouble. Now, ants are very peculiar animals. The Lord says in Proverbs 6, 6, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, her ways, notice it, her ways, and be wise. Now, why does he say that? because you never see a male ant. They stay down on the ground and do the housework, and the ladies get out and hustle for the money. The women go out after the stuff, and the male ant stay down on the ground. If you saw a male ant, it wouldn't be an ant anyway. It'd be an uncle. (laughs) Now, I'll tell you a strange thing about an ant. Now, listen to me. An ant has four pairs of ears, a pair in the head, a pair in the front feet, a pair in the thorax, and a pair in the abdomen. Four pairs of ears. When I was a boy, I had an ant that had seventeen pairs, I think. She heard everything that went on and a lot of things that didn't. But when one ant meets another ant, she'll lay down whatever she has, and the second ant will not pick up what she lays down. No ant will pick up anything that belongs to another ant. That's a remarkable thing, but it's true. I watched them myself. I carry a magnifying glass with me when I'm out in the woods just to study things. And she takes her front feet and talks, feels the head of the uh, second ant. And she tells that second ant where she found this bread or this sugar, whatever it is. She gets in your pantry, the scout does, and she gets some sugar and starts off and she lays it down and tells every ant she meets where she found that sugar. It didn't long until the whole outfit's coming into your kitchen. What a lesson there is for us. A lesson for honesty. Don't take what belongs to somebody else. And second, tell the story of God's grace. Tell where you found the honey. Tell where you found the living water and the living bread. Tell what you found in Jesus Christ. My, that's the way I got saved. A coal miner came and told me about the Lord Jesus. I didn't know him. This dear man found Christ up in Iowa, came down to Kansas City and told me about him. Isn't that the way you got saved? Didn't somebody come and tell you? That's the way the ants do. Now, spiders, well, you remember reading Proverbs 30? The spider taketh hold with her hands and is in king's palaces. Why does it say her hands? Because you never see a male spider, that's why. It's the female that spins the web in your your, uh, garage. The men don't do it. The male spider, I've never seen a male spider myself. They're very tiny little things, about as big as the head of a pin usually. Tiny little thing, they only exist for procreation. And the female does all the web spinning and she pulls the web off her hind legs where the spin rats are. And I watched one night, I went out to, to Sewell Park in Kansas City, took a flashlight and a magnifying glass and I watched the spider spin a web. It was wonderful, really, it was thrilling and she'd pull, with her two front feet, she'd pull that web off her two hind legs and put it up there and then put a bit of gum there to hold it where it crossed the pieces. And I washed her, and then when she got it all made, I, I don't know how long it took, it didn't take more than an hour, I think. When she got through, she went over that web and she's put a bit of gum all over that web except about two or three inches wide in the middle where she was going to sit. She didn't want to sit in that stuff. She got sense enough. And then when she had to jump, she had to jump, like you see scat, you know, and you expect the cat to go. And when a fly came along, it was a little moth that came along and got it on there. I want to tell you, that spider was there like a flash of lightning. And the gum held the moth on there, and then she started stamping it and all the time going around it and winding her th- her threads around it. By the way, spider silk is said to be 20 per- 20% stronger than, than uh, silkworm silk. But the reason they don't raise it is because they can't put the males and the females together. Because if the female don't like her husband, she eats him up. They're all cannibals, these lady spiders. And they can't put the male and female together so as to make sp- the spider silk. Well, enough of that. There's another spider. It's the bell spider. It's covered with hair. And that spider goes down in a running stream and fastens herself to a reed or a leaf or something down under there. And then she's, st- and then she. St- she builds a web, a, a, a bell, a web in the shape of a bell, about as big as a quarter, perhaps, and maybe an inch or inch and a half deep. And after she gets it made, she comes up frequently for air and goes down, and makes some more, comes up and gets air and goes down with some more. After she gets it made, she comes up and cu- fills her hair with air. Then she goes down and goes up inside that bell and squeezes herself together and squeezes the air out of her, out of her, the hair and that knocks the water down a little bit. Then she gets some more air and up she goes and squeezes herself together and, and pours some more water out. She does that until she gets that thing full of air. Then she sits in there and waits for some of you to float down past there and she grabs it and gets, takes it back up there and eats it in the air where there's no water. Of course, the, she wasn't taught that, you know, in the school of infidelity. I've never seen any of these atheists. You know, an atheist is a wonderful fellow. The man that says there's no God, take your hat off to him. He's the widest traveled person there is, because he wouldn't say there's no God if he didn't know it. And the only way he can know it is to find out. So he's been up to heaven, he's been all around among the stars, for God said he dwelt up there. He looked all around the stars, all around the constellations, he comes back and says, friends, there's no God, I went up to find out. Then God said he dwelt in Jerusalem, so he went back there and looked up and down the caverns and the alleys and the hills and Comes back and says, Friends, there's no God. I went over to see. And then he must have been in the home of every Christian for God said he dwelt with him that is a humble and contrite spirit and that trembles at his word. So he's hunted up all the believers, nosed all around. See, and comes back and says, There's no God. I went to see. He's a wonderful, wonderful fellow and a fool. Who taught that spider to do that? The living God. The living God. Then again, I was speaking over at a university, state university over here, and uh, another senior came up to see me. I love to talk to those fellows. They're so well-informed on every subject. And he said, uh, you mention in your address something about a resurrection. Now, you don't believe in a resurrection, do you? I said, yes, sir, positive. Oh, he said, now listen, you look intelligent. I said, thank you very much. Ms. Wilson told me that once, so it must be so. I said, "Why do you think that about me?" Because he said, you mean to tell me, Doctor Wilson, that when Jesus spoke to Lazarus in the grave, wrapped up in grave clothes, that he came out. And I said, "Yes, sir, he came out." How did he get out? I said, "I don't know." You changed the question on me. First, you asked me if he came out, and I said, "Yes, absolutely, he came out." Now you say a second question: How did he get out? And I say, "I don't know." And so he kind of turned his nose up at me and said, "I'll believe nothing of the kind." I said to him, you look intelligent, too. You've had the benefit of college education. I never did. I went out of high school into the study of medicine. I never got any, high, any college education. But you must have learned something. Will you tell me how How did you don't believe it? I, let me suggest this. You don't believe it because you can't understand how a man that's been dead four days or more and wrapped in grave clothes could get out. That's right, he said. I won't believe it. I said, how does a butterfly get out of a cocoon? Why, he said, it bites its way out. Wonderful, I said. How many teeth does a butterfly have? Well, he admitted he didn't know. I said, it doesn't have any. It couldn't get out that way. Well, then he said, I guess it must uh, uh, swell up and burst its way out. My, I said, you you do look intelligent. Did you ever try to tear a cocoon with your fingers? Yeah. Tell me the honest truth. Did you ever tear one? No, he said, I couldn't. But you're so wise and wonderful. You think that this gentle, tender, soft, buttery butterfly could give a snuff and... The whole thing would bust open, huh? No, he said, I guess that wouldn't work. No, I said, that's two things you don't know. Now, if it swelled up, wouldn't it swell up with air? Yes, sir. Well, there's no air in a cocoon. It's airproof and waterproof and lightproof and heatproof. Oh, is that so? I said, yeah, that's three things you don't know. Come on, how does it get out? Well, he said, I guess it emits a sort of an acid that burns a hole through the cocoon. Oh, I said, now you are a wise man. If it is so strong to burn a hole through that tough cocoon, wouldn't it burn up the butterfly? Yeah, I guess that's right, he said. Well, I didn't have to say anymore for his own pet his own kids drove him out his own his own students were with him they, they chased him out the back door then they came back and said how does he get out Dr. Wilson I said I don't know <laughs> nobody knows nobody's ever been able to find out the fibers just open up you don't know how nobody knows how but the God of heaven has fixed it so that beautiful thing you know strange thing about it That caterpillar went in with 14 legs and comes out with six. Where'd the other eight go? They're not in there. Did the butterfly eat the legs off the caterpillar? Did the caterpillar eat up its own legs? Where'd they go? It goes in with hair and comes out with scales. Where'd the hair go? It isn't in the caterpillar. It isn't in the uh, cocoon. Did the butterfly eat the hair off the caterpillar? Or did the caterpillar lick the hair off itself? Or where did it go? Because it isn't in there. It went in walking and comes out flying. Where did it learn to fly? wrapped up in a cocoon. It goes in with 14 segments in his body and comes out with three. Where'd the rest of them go? They're not in there. Well, I won't tell you any more about it because I don't know anymore. One time I was in a watermelon patch, I mean in the daytime, and if <laughs> my wife was with me and she was sitting in the car out in the road and I had her stop while I went up in this watermelon patch and uh, the fellow that owned it was in a house up here. He could see me plainly, and I hoped he would. So he came down. And he said, what are you doing in my watermelon patch? I said, I was counting the stripes on your watermelons. Oh, he said, what would you get out of? I said, the asylum. <laughs> he said, tell me, what were you? He saw I didn't have any melons. I said, I was. Did you ever count them? No, he said, I've only been raising watermelons 30 years, and I haven't had time to count them, but I will. He went around, and he counted about 35 watermelons and he came back and he said mister I don't know who you are but you could knock me over I never knew that before they all had 10 stripes on you see God does everything regular he knows what he's doing you know that the leaves on a tree grow regularly if you were blind and knew how leaves grow you could go along and feel the leaves on a tree and tell you what, tell what kind of a tree it was Uh, You know, they grow around the limb. And on an apple tree, the fifth leaf comes up opposite the first one. On a peach tree, the eighth one comes up opposite the first one. On a plum tree, the fourth one comes up opposite the first one. On an ash tree, the twenty-second leaf comes up opposite the first one. They all grow on regularly. God doesn't do things carelessly. And by guesswork, not a bit of it. Now, you know a fly. Did you ever notice that in Egypt... When the flies were driven out, it says there remained not one, one fly. You ever notice that? And fly is the pest of Egypt. And when you drove them out, it says there remained not one. Now, you know when you get after a fly, it jumps so quickly. That's because it sees a thousand swatters. It has a thousand facets on its eyes, and it sees a thousand swatters when you come after it. No matter, no reason why it shouldn't jump, to get hit with a thousand of those things. And then when it flies, it flies up on the ceiling upside down. How does it stick up there? Do you know when a fly is frozen in the wintertime on the winter What a job you have getting it off? It isn't because the fly freezes on there. It's because the gum freezes on there. On the foot of a fly, there are 150 hollow hairs. Each one is hollow. And it runs up into the, the foot and the leg of the fly where there's a little sack of gum. And when it puts its foot against anything, that gum oozes out and sticks there. So there are hundred and fifty stickers or sticking spots on each leg, and when, uh, when all of them are up there, there are nine hundred spots of glue holding that thing on the ceiling. It couldn't fall off if it wanted to. It can walk all night with a sick baby and never fall off. How, how do you suppose God ever made a thing like that? It'd be easier to make an elephant. By the way, the elephant is the only animal I know of that gets up on four legs at once. On the farm, I was in a, a country schoolhouse over here near Van Wert, Ohio, and I said, how many of you children were raised on the farm? Every hand went up. I said, how many of you teachers were raised on the farm? And nearly all of them were raised on the farm. I said, you tell me the difference between the way a cow gets up off the ground and the way a horse gets up off the ground. I was going to talk about elephants, and this was my preliminary. Do you know there wasn't a person in that school that knew? And they were raised on the farm. It's because we don't see what we look at, if that is good English. So I told them, see the cow gets up on her hind legs first, that's to protect her bag. she got sense enough not to sit on that thing. <laughs> and the horse gets up on the front legs first. And the elephant gets up on all four legs at the same time because its body is so big that God did something for an elephant he didn't do for any other animal that I know of, I'm only speaking about my knowledge, the hind legs of an elephant bend forward. Every other quadruped, except the turtle, if you, you can hardly call that a quadruped, and the bat, which isn't a quadruped, the hind legs bend backwards. All of them, the horse and the dog and the cat and the cow and all the rest of them. But God gave this animal, hind legs have bend forward, so it has four uh, fulcrums to get that great big body up off the ground. And it has two, 20,000 muscles in his trunk, and no scientist has ever found out how it is that those muscles have the strength they do. Because there's no fulcrum. A few of them are attached to the jaw. Very few. Most of them have no attachment at all except to themselves. And you men know you've got to have a fulcrum when you raise anything. It's heavy and big. Down here at Peru, Indiana, the self-soldier uh, and Hagenbeck Wallace wintered before they went out of business. And I went in there one day and there was a pandemonium. Just a terrible pandemonium in the, among the animals. And I said to the uh, veterinary, what's going on here? He said, a little while ago, the biggest tiger we have got out of the cage. The man that cleaned the cage failed to lock it properly, and that uh, tiger, walking up and down, rubbing itself against the cage, opened the door, and it came out. And there were 42 elephants in there, in that big ball, bu- in that big building. And every one of them saw that tiger get out. And at once, there was just a pandemonium, and the snorting of the... Uh, of the elephant, roused all the other animals that were in the cages around the side. It was a terrible mess. And that tiger walked along the little narrow ledge in front of the cage, swishing his tail and wondering which one of these elephants to get. It got in front of a great big elephant, and I mean behind it, on this ledge, and jumped up on the back of that and tore a great hunk out of the hip of that elephant. And then that elephant reached around with his trunk. Now that tiger weighed 600 pounds. He wrapped his trunk around it, he picked it up in the air and threw it down and jumped on it with his front feet and smashed it. And no scientist can explain that to you. How could he pick up 600 pounds without a lever? No leverage there at all. It's just one of, the, one of those things you can't understand. By the way, it takes 87 weeks to make an elephant. Now you remember the Lord said that the fruitful Christian would be 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. You remember that. That's exactly the way wheat grows. If you don't believe it, you go out to a wheat field and do it, because I have. If a man has a light crop, you will have 28 or 30 or 32 grains, always an even number. Everything that has seed on it always has an even number of seeds. If he has a good crop, he'll have 58 or 60 or 62 grains. If he has a bumper crop where the heads fall over the weight of it, he'll have 98 or 100 or 102 grains. Our Lord wasn't guessing at it when he used those figures. He didn't reach out and just grab figures out of the air. He knew what he was talking about, for he made that stuff. Now just a word about Ness. There's no place to stop, you know. I'm just watching the clock here. You want to go home, you folks? All All right. uh don't you watch the clock i don't think they'll shut you off but if they do we want to listen anyway <laughs> all right all right brother munz the G- the blue jay makes its nest in germany and in the old country in a hollow tree in this country they make their nest out on the open limbs in south america they make a nest like an orioles nest that hangs down from a twig with a hole in the side like an oriole's nest. You know why it does that? Who taught that bird that? Over there they don't have any Audubon Society. And the fellows steal the eggs. Birds have a time raising eggs over there, hatching eggs. In our country we have an Audubon Society and all our children have learned to respect nests and respect birds and love them. But in South America they have monkeys and snakes that climb up the tree to get the eggs. So they build it out on a twig hanging down where no monkey can get at it and no snake can get at it. Who teaches the birds to do that? Now honeybees are very interesting. A honeybee is built around the number three. It has three stomachs. One of them is for its own food. The second one is for the nectar that it gets out of the flowers and into which it pours the acid that makes honey, and the honey is in the third stomach. So when it gets to the the, uh, hive, it has honey to put in there. Now, they, that's where these cement fellows learned how to make these rotating mixers that they take. They t- they, you know, they put the stuff in at the factory. By the time it gets to the place it's to be used, it's, it's in good shape to use. They learned that from the bees. God learned that long before they did. And then the bee has three eyes in the top of its head. It has three scales on the underside of its body with which it makes the wax that makes a six-sided cell. Then it has three sections to its sting, three parts to it. And on each one of these, there are three barbs. And around the whole business, there are three sets of involuntary muscles. It's born in nine days, 12 days, 15 days, 18 days, 21 days, 24 days, always in threes. The first three days after it hatches, it's it hatched, it stays in the cell. The next three days, it stays in the hive. After that, it goes out after honey. Now, how come all that three business? I don't know. Anyone, I know how beautiful... Feathers come out of a peacock's shell. Peacock egg. Oh, do peacocks lay eggs? No, they don't. It's the hen that lays the egg. Cocks never do. <laughs> Who ever heard of a peacock laying an egg? You never saw an egg or laid by a cock. It's the hen that does it. But how in the under heaven can that beautiful tail come out of the egg of the peafowl? I don't know. Well, when it comes out, it's a beautiful form. Of course, the atheist says it happens, just like the elephant. It happened, and snakes happen, and worms happen, and blue jays just happen. What a bunk. Somebody has to do it, beloved. And that somebody is our Lord Jesus Christ, who makes us into Christians by saving us, and then makes us fit for heaven, and then takes us to heaven when it's time to go. Just as our dear brother Munster was telling us this morning, Christ Jesus is the center and circumference of everything that God has, everything that God has. Now music is strange. You know, up until the time of Christ, music was all in one note. They didn't have harmony in those old days. They didn't have soprano, alto, tenor, and bass. They just had one, that was the air. That's all they had. After the Savior came, we got the four parts to music. Now music and the Bible go together. The Bible has 66 books, that's six times 11. And if you add the numbers together from 1 up to 66, it amounts to 2,211. That's 201 times 11. And 44 of these books have authors that are known, and 22 are anonymous, and those are multiples of 11. Moses' name occurs in the Bible 847 times. That's 77 times 11. And in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, where the Old Testament saints are mentioned, his name occurs 11 times. And 33 of these books can, are, uh, contain epistles, or are epistles, and 33 do not. The whole structure of that book is around the number 11, and music's the same way. The key of C vibrates 264 times a second. D is 33 more, E is 33 more, F is 22 more, G is 44 more, A is 44 more, B is 55 more, and C is 33 more. Always multiples of 11. So where the Bible goes, music goes. Didn't you start singing when the Lord saved you? Puts music in your soul. And the farther away people get from the Bible, the worse the jazz is. Now, owls, as far as I know, is the only bird that has soft feathers. All its feathers are soft. And that's because it gets its food at night. And if it made a noise when it's flying, the field mouse or the baby rabbit or whatever it's after would skip out and hide in the dark. So God has made it so it flies around at night, and if we had a hundred owls in this room and you had your eyes shut, you wouldn't know they were here. You can't hear them. God made them that way because he made them to get their food at night. Now just this word about baby chickens, because it's time to go. You know that I was in a hatchery one time, and uh, I said to the, the man in charge, did you ever see a baby chicken hatched out of the small end of an egg? He said, Dr. Wilson, there ain't no such animal. He said, we hatch over 10,000 eggs a day in this place, and I have yet to find the first one that ever came out of the little end of the egg. Now, if you're going to break an egg on your forehead, always take the big end. Don't take the little end, because it'll give you a headache. The big end is just half as thick as the little end. And when the hen lays the egg, she drops it on the small end, because that's the thick end. Now, the air chamber, you notice when you get a man, have a hard-boiled egg, you keep a man in hot water, you get hard boiled. And you uh, you have an air chamber up in the big end of the egg. And that air chamber contains enough air for two days. And this baby chicken, on the 19th day, begins to breathe very slowly. And all that 19th day, uh, 20th day I should say, and 21st day, it gives a jump and the, to get air and that pokes a hole through the end of the shell and that makes let's get out on the twenty first day now how does the Lord get that air in there can you, you tell me and how does that baby that baby is always born with his nose up in that air chamber always you can't make it any different beloved you can take an egg and put it in a in a uh, centrifugal machine and twist it for ten days you won't change the position of that yolk. you ever know when you when you break an egg open a row egg, you have to scrape out part of the white, you know. That's because that's a rope made of albumin. And the two sides are fastened to the side of the shell and to the side of the yolk, And that's done there so you can't turn it over. You can't turn it over. So that when that baby is formed, its nose will be up where it belongs, up in that air chamber. Now quail eggs are a little different. Quail eggs are are like a top that you spin, a child's top. A very sharp point and comes quickly up to a head. How many of you here ever saw a quail egg? Oh, I see a lot of farmers around here. Well, I've examined lots of them. Do you know that in Jeremiah 17 it says this? The partridge sitteth upon eggs, it takes 23 days, by the way, and hatcheth them not. Isn't that strange? I have never yet found a quail's nest that had all the eggs hatched in. She lays a layer of eggs on the bottom row, and then she goes around with her bill and points them, turns them up with the big part up and the small point down. Then she lays another layer on there, usually five eggs in a row or six. She lays another row of eggs and turns the points down. Then she does it again until she has five rows of six or six rows of five, all of the points down. And when she sits on them, the heat of her body don't get down to the bottom. I remember I said to an atheist once who told me there was nothing true in the Bible, I, I read him this verse in Jeremiah 17, I said, is that so or isn't it so? He said, I don't know anything about them. Then I said, you're a big fool. You said, there's nothing true. Now you say you don't know anything about it. If I find a verse in the Bible I think is true, will you let me prove it to you? Certainly, he said. So I turned to the last verse of Proverbs 30, and I read it to him. Surely the churning of milk bringeth forth butter, and the wringing of the nose bringeth forth blood. And I can prove it to you, I said. (laughs) That ended the conversation. God bless you. We have a God out there that does things perfectly, wonderfully, and he'll do the same thing in your life and in your heart if you let him trust yourself to that lovely Lord. Let us pray. Lord. Let us pray. How we thank thee, our Lord, for that outdoor book of thine, so full of things we can't understand, just like this precious Bible is, but how we love thee for giving it all to us and giving us some lessons that are helpful and profitable. Will it please thee to minister to our hearts until we love thee and serve thee and walk with thee and are intimately in love with thee for Jesus glory. When President Coolidge lost his boy from a streptococcus infection, he said tears even invade the White House. And they do. Kings and queens have them. God's dear servants have them. Tears. I'm not talking about that. I stood beside a young fellow who worked for me. He lost two children with diphtheria two weeks apart. And at the second uh, funeral, I stood beside the casket with him while his tears fell down on the satin in the coffin. I said, Fred, what's going on in your heart? He said, Walter, I was just thanking God that he wanted angels to raise two of my babies for me. You have to raise your own children. But God thought so much of my two children, he wanted angels to raise them. Just came them to heaven for angels to take care of. How wonderful they will be when I see them again. Two of my girls raised by angels. The tears were falling. His heart was glad. I stood beside my father-in-law about a block and a half away from our tent factory. We had a big tent factory and it caught fire from spontaneous combustion in the old uh, fish brand slickers. Some of you old will remember fish brand slickers. And they caught fire, and the place burned up. The Kansas Star the next morning said the fire was intense, and so... As the last floor caved in, and he was an old fashioned Englishman born in Hailsham, England, he didn't believe in insurance and didn't carry any. And he had a great big four-story building loaded with merchandise and it just burned up into a few cinders. And when the last uh poor came in i said father you're broke you're a bankrupt. you're busted i'll never forget as long as i live that dear man of god he put his arm around me he said lord you're mistaken i gave that business to my father many years ago it wasn't mine i was just his office boy running it for him he just burned up his own stuff he didn't burn up anything wrong to me <laughs> I'll go home, he said, and asked him what my next job is to be, and he did, and the next night he was out on the street corner singing Jesus Saves at the top of his voice. You see, beloved, the thing that makes us cross is that we don't get our own way. Now you just analyze it any way you want to. Somebody don't do what we think they should, or what we know they should. Somebody don't treat us the way we should be treated. Somebody don't recognize us as we should be recognized. Somebody don't give us what we're entitled to. Somebody don't promote us the way we should be promoted or something or other. There's always absolute selfishness that makes us sad. Or, or rather, makes us discontented. Sorrow makes us sad. When my mother died, I was 13 months old. And my dear father saw that sweet girl, 24 years old, dying in two days, stricken with cerebral, spinal meningitis, was gone in two days. And he stood there and watched my mother go, so he told me about it. His heart filled with the deepest sorrow my brother and I, two little boys, left. And then he said, God has to have young women in heaven. He has to have young mothers in heaven. He's honored me by letting mine be one of those. He wanted in the glory of hell.